Episode 17. The van was parked in the driveway, forcing her to wobble across the lawn. The turf was so hard her sharp heels didn't even sink into it. Her calf muscles clenched like fists. She still had that runner's body, Kyle thought, queasy with love and what felt like impending loss. The driver opened the passenger door. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jackie said. I hope this is no bother for you. It's such a long way to come, especially on a Sunday morning. She continued expressing her thanks as the chauffeur closed the door behind her. Kyle tried to remember the last time she had directed such gratitude toward him. It was, he thought, the night they'd met in Vegas when he'd carried her mother up to her hotel room, when she had thought he was a soldier. The limo departed. Katie walked down to the curb. She drank her coffee as the mirage dwindled down the long, straight street. Kyle finally finished off his woe. His knees went weak, and he had to lean on his cane for support. An energy lived inside Jackie, furious as an animal, hard and metallic as a gun. When it took her, she could and would do anything. The energy had surfaced last summer, when she had suddenly developed her obsession with running. Before that, she had refused to allow athletic prowess in any form to impress her, as Kyle well knew, having taken her and Katie to countless high school football games. No matter what Jackie now believed, football was the real religion in Morton. The whole town turned out for every game, roaring out its worship of the marauders. Even Katie, before her recent transformation, had screamed and clapped, pigtails bobbing and blue and gold ribbons. Kyle had thought she'd become a cheerleader when she was older, and the thought had pleased him because it meant that Katie would have an easier life than Jackie. Katie, it had seemed to him then, was like other people. Whereas, amid the frenzy of the games, her mother, alone, had remained seated, legs crossed, foot tapping impatiently. She'd applauded like a golf spectator, if at all. And yet Kyle had adored this version of Jackie because he knew that he made her life richer. Without him to drag her to games or police activities league talent shows where his impressions had tickled friendly crowds, without his cop stories, Vegas stories, stories of the missing link and its more intriguing denizens, in short, without Kyle's efforts to delight and amaze and soothe her, Jackie would have been far more unhappy. He had given her some life, some of his life, and that had made him proud. But then came last summer. One day she was lying in bed in the middle of the afternoon, saying, as usual, that she was a little tired. The next day she was tearing down the street in a t-shirt, pleated walking shorts, and the pair of old tennis shoes she only wore when cleaning the house. She bought magazines, Nike specially designed for the particular type of asphalt she ran on, a yellow rain suit. She stretched elaborately in the living room, and, not to put too fine a point on it, she began to fuck like a banshee. Kyle had fantasized all along that Jackie might become more liberated in this area. In morning half-dreams, he had even cast her as a vampire and enjoyed her in this form immensely. But when the fantasy became reality, it was horrible. He could have been anyone lying there when that bundle of muscle landed on him. He was nothing but a source of friction. In fact, she could have managed the whole business just fine without him. But here was what Kyle had meant to say to his wife that summer. He was proud of her for finally finding something she loved to do. He couldn't think of taking up running himself because of his back, his clumsiness, and his unmanly softness. But he had no intention of letting that interfere with her joy. She was beautiful and strong. And here was what he meant to say when the running suddenly gave way to religious fanaticism. Fair enough. Her rapture fantasy was correct in broad terms. What it really meant was that Jackie was better than Kyle. If God existed, he would indeed pick her over him. However, Kyle planned, this is what he had wanted to say above all, to do everything he could to bring himself up to her level, even if he could not believe as she did. She's leaving us, Kyle said, hobbling over to the curb to join Katie. You mark my words. 
He waited for her to spit out some obscene pronouncement. She hated capitalism, the man, and his limos, didn't she? Wasn't all of this bullshit? Katie shrugged and went inside. Enrique went on sketching seahorses. He had no idea what had just happened. In the limo's wake, a few neighbors had been drawn out onto their lawns. Kyle waved at them weakly. Now they knew the car hadn't come for him, either. Jackie adjusted her sundress, which had ridden up on her thighs. She sat on a white circular cushion in Harry's Los Angeles office. Per Harry's policy, she was barefoot, which was just as well, since those stilettos were killing her. But the sundress had turned out to be the worst possible choice for this meeting. Harry said he worked best when he was close to the ground, even as his office was on top of a 30-story building. Thus, he conducted all his important meetings on cushions around an enormous conference table less than two feet high. In Jackie's lap, Molly babbled softly to Carl, whom she had not released from her grasp in 24 hours. Harry sat next to them, rather closer than Jackie might have expected. He crossed his legs loosely. Jackie was impressed with his toes. Encased in silky black socks, they were long and prehensile, not like Kyle's chubby nubs, one of which had gone grotesquely missing. On her soft cushion, Jackie felt herself tipping toward Harry's knee. Between avoiding that, keeping her dress under control, and Molly, her mind and body had been fully occupied. Only now could she begin to absorb what lay on the table in front of them. Jackie had never seen a scale model like this. Other models of towns, like the one of historic Bakersfield at the Petroleum Museum, were made of balsa wood or maybe styrofoam, dusty and chipped. This model, covering the entire surface of the table, rippled with light, as if the buildings floated on a stream. Possibly these effects were reflections from the transparent dome covering the model. The dome, Jackie gathered, prevented Harry's visitors from spilling drinks on the town or poking around and maybe pocketing a house. The houses, there must have been over a thousand, were East Coast style with shutters and peaked roofs. They were large and varied in a range of pastel colors. In the bright yards, people a half-inch high lounged by pools or played ball with children and dogs. The homes and people dotted intricately looping cul-de-sacs, so that, under the faintly green dome, the town resembled the wing of an exotic butterfly. Downtown, families strolled the main street under broadleaf trees, eating ice cream and or gazing delightedly into shopping bags. The storefronts were mostly brick, with, Jackie leaned in closer, the attention to detail would have done Carl proud, white window boxes full of pansies. Hints of the blue and white Carlsmart logo appeared on store windows, though so subtle they could have almost been reflections. The only modern-looking building stood at the end of the main street, the expected location for the city hall. This edifice, though, was a green glass pyramid, somehow both ominous and enticing. On the west side of the town, a large park featured a golf course, rolling green hillocks with grazing sheep, and, on the far end, a lush, tropical-looking forest. Meanwhile, outside the dome, the orange orb of the sun, in reality a light bulb on a wire stalk, either rose or set. Its reflection on the dome was a pale flame. This, Jackie, said Harry, is Christmastown.